Hello and welcome everybody. Welcome to After Hours. This is where we talk about postdoc physical therapy reflections. Today I'm joined by our guest, Dr. Luke Zastro. Luke Zastro is coming to us from Ohio State University where he joins me as an orthopedic resident. He did his physical therapy school at the University of Toledo. And he wants you to know that strengths-wise, he really likes to include a systematic approach with patients' exercise and interventions. He's really good at that. I've seen him do it personally. And funny fact, and something that I knew of, but I, I should keep more in the front of my head so he doesn't beat me up, but he's a, he's a black belt in karate, so watch out. So without further ado, Dr. Luke Zastro. Hey, Luke. Thanks for joining hey. us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, Check man. We... All the boxes. This is all ortho Ohio State residency right now. I know. You got through everybody. All three of us. All three of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, I got I to gotta make my way through everybody. We got the new residents who started last week. So I talked to them about it and I'm going to make my way through them as well. I think I'm going to do some sport residents for sure, try to get some of our faculty members in the residency, get some fellowship members, and then people outside of it. So yeah, I man. think we got a we got a cool docket coming up of shows. So if you guys are listening, stay tuned. Yeah, man. Honored to be the am I the second guest? That... You are our second guest. This is episode number three. I can Yeah man. It's hard to believe, but this is episode number three already. So I want to just start off with what was the best thing that happened to you this week so far? Yeah, um, it would it would have to be. So I actually just found out this morning that uh, my you know my wife Lauren she yep. just passed her OT board exam. Oh so. uh, no way! Tell yeah. her some congrats. I know. So we're psyched. So she just got licensed. So we're super uh -oh. excited. We're going out to dinner tonight with some friends to to celebrate. So Jeez, that's a power and, rehab couple right there. I know. Yeah, man. <laughs> doctor she, of physical therapy, doctor of occupational therapy. Ooh. Yeah. And she, she, the, the really good news is those, she was super stressed because she sure. has kind of a, a job somewhat lined up a little bit. Okay. Um, so she was like really worried that if she, if she didn't pass, she would have to turn down the job offer. So now she gets to accept that. So we're pretty psyched. That's such a relieving feeling, especially these days. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy that she uh, has something lined up because I was, we were both kind of unsure whether she would be able to, you know, find some employment at this, this stage in, in the year. So. Yeah. Any, I mean, any job right now, I would be totally thankful for. That's, <laughs> Definitely. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's, that's why I'm so thankful for having this residency right now. Yeah, man, we, we're the lucky ones. Well, speaking of let's, let's jump right into it then. Uh, what are your plans after residency? Yeah. Um, it's a it's a big question, a big deal. I know. I feel like for so long, I was just focused on trying to, I guess, stay as engaged and try to get as caught up and make sure I'm doing all the requirements of the residency that sometimes you forget what happens mm -hmm. when it ends. So uh, yeah, I've definitely been giving that some thought. I think I'm planning on staying in the Columbus area since uh, obviously Lauren is probably getting a, a job here and I'm hoping to stay on with Ohio State. Obviously, that's a little uh, a little bit up in the air with the hiring freeze and things, sure. but I think even if I don't 
get hired by them for some reason, I'll probably stick around and try to um, find some sort of outpatient ortho setting to, to work in here for at least the next five years. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great idea. I mean, obviously we both love Ohio State from, from the sense of the program and both love our jobs from the sense of our bosses and all of just how the system runs. So if you can stay in a system that you love, I think that that means a lot. But at the same time, it is what it is. And we got to be uh, big boys, pull up our pants and, uh, you know, get, get to work when we need to. If it's not at Ohio State, it's somewhere else. Yeah, man. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed like the, I mean, you're, you're at, so, so for those who don't know, Nick mm-hmm. worked at the clinic that I'm at currently before I went there. So we both worked at the he same clinic. Me. <laughs> yeah, replaced him. But I've, I've really enjoyed my time, like, in the Ohio State system. I feel like it's a super, super great, like, system for mentorship and learning. And I just, that's what I want for the rest of my career. So I've really, compared to some yeah. of my other clinicals, I really feel that kind of, I guess it's just a step above what I've seen other places. So I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, because you can be as fast paced or as, not as slow paced as you want, but <laughs> as, long, as long as you're, you're meeting the standards, the company standards, which are very doable. Yeah, for sure. Like very, very doable. Then, yeah. I mean, the world yeah. is your oyster. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, you know, like for me, like the one-on-one care component is super important to me. Like I don't yeah. really like double booking patients. I don't like seeing 20 patients a day. You sure. know, I like to really spend time with my patients and then really engage and be able to take the time to, really develop strong programs for them. And so it's nice because I feel like at Ohio State, I have the capacity to do that because the pace is, you know, the, the pace is there for me. So that's what I've been trying to take advantage of. <laughs> sure. Let's, let's say this. Let's say worst case scenario, because I mean, best case scenario is we both say at Ohio State, right? Yeah, yeah. Worst case scenario, we're gone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a bad one. You're interviewing at other jobs. Let's say it's another a private practice in the Columbus area. And so we're one year out now, almost two years after we graduate. What, how would you respond to somebody saying, well, I don't value your residency in dollars because you get the same billing units as mm-hmm. my other PT or my other new grad that is hired. How do you, how do you convey that value? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think. I know I'm putting you on the I, spot. I know. Um, I think, I think I'd probably go through all the stuff that I feel like is value about residency. So I feel like it's giving me, I think it's given me kind of a, a head start on years of experience. I think I've gained a lot of experience. Like even though I've only been a clinician for about a year, I feel like I've gained years of experience from my mentors, just the clinical pearls that they can give me. Um, Cause I know how, like, you know, working in a, a normal clinic, you're really not getting that, that person over your shoulder who, you know, is an expert in their field yeah. giving you pointers. So I think that my clinical practice has really, um, really improved exponentially faster than it would have if I had just entered the workforce. Um, I think it depends on what, what the values of the company are, but like, obviously our teaching experience has been um, really 
really helpful for me, um, especially with all the presentations we have to create. If there's any type of continued education mm -hmm. or anything like that, I feel like we bring the value there, um, as well as obviously the didactic that we've engaged in. I feel like we obviously we're training to become orthopedic specialists, so we probably won't we won't take that exam like right after residency. But I feel like that can also play a role. I know a lot of companies, you know, value that. Um, specialization like certification. So, sure. so I think that would probably be the way that I would try to go about it. How, how would you go about it? It's a good question. Um, I just had a meeting with my, my boss, my old boss, now Luke's new boss today, Paul, Paul Tadak. Shout out to you, Paul. You're <laughs> the man. And, and we were talking and something, I just blurted out a phrase and I, I really liked what I said and Paul did too. And it was, from the sense that you can look at residency as all those pressures being thrown at you, right? Somebody mm -hmm. that, that is under the gun for research, under the gun for presenting, under the gun for teaching, under the gun for getting mentorship hours, getting just like the, the, all of the little things that go into it that I would think you and me now take, you know, take for granted. But at the same time, we're in our routine, we're going, we're chugging along. And I would say all those things like coming around and what does that make me think of? That makes me think of how diamonds are formed and like all of the pressure coming in and you get this diamond that comes out of it. And you see somebody who's battle tested, somebody that has been through adversity, has struggled through multiple different tasks and multitask, like can multitask can have all of these different things, has leadership capabilities now, has the ability, like you said, to communicate and teach, whether mm -hmm. you don't have, so yeah, if the boss says, I'm gonna teach and communicate, like sure, you're not gonna help my business that way. Well, number one, we could, like you said, we could help with some continuing education stuff, whether it's within the business or outside of the business. But the biggest thing is teaching your patients. Oh yeah. Right. And like, it doesn't matter what or how you need experience and practice with that. So I think the teaching itself gives us that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think to your point, I do think we wear a variety of hats in this, in this uh, program. And it's, it's definitely, I mean, in the beginning, I was, I'm sure we all were very overwhelmed <laughs> with all the, all the different hats we had to wear. Sure. Um, and so I, I, I completely agree the the resiliency that a residency will, will give you. I think it, it definitely tests you and it tests whether you, you know, you want to continue to do what you're doing, you know? And, and for yeah. me, I, I think I've come out, obviously we're still finishing our residency, but I think we've gotten through the, you know, the most the difficult side. aspect. Yeah. yeah. And so I think now, you know, coming out the other side, I feel like, you know, I didn't, I didn't crack under that pressure that you're talking about. And I feel like I'm, I'm even more motivated to, you know, continue on my career as I'm sure you are as well. Cause yeah. you're, you're thinking about staying on as well. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful to, uh, to do this fellowship. There's yeah, a, Ohio state has a manual orthopedic fellowship and I uh, am literally in the process of editing my essays. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in undergrad of college <laughs> or applying to college and writing essays again. So I'm like probably two hours away from hitting the submit button. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think I forgot how to write essays. Yeah, since, I did. Uh, <laughs> that's why it took me so long. And uh, 
the the applications due Friday. So, oh yeah, man, that's okay. That's yeah, okay. you're almost done. We're good. <laughs> but so so you you talked about a resiliency, and like that's the thing that like number one thing I would argue for anybody thinking about residency and testing themselves or like we're thinking about how do you sell that to your future employer? I like, it's all about how you shape it. So if you said, Oh, I did a residency, I did this, this, and this, and you don't bring that out. You don't highlight all of the, all of the secondary traits that really make you valuable as a person. Then I think you lose that. So figuring out how to do that and how that best suits your strengths to me to back to that point of like, what do you say to your boss is like point out your strengths, point out just everything that you've gone through and what that means to you and how you've come out stronger on the other side. And I know this is, this is getting to another point, but I know that wasn't an easy road for you coming through. We've talked about that a little bit. But uh, yeah, man. talk to me, talk to me about that a little bit more. Give me, give me some more insight on how you were feeling in the beginning of residency and how that has changed since. Yeah. So in the beginning, I definitely felt fairly overwhelmed, you know, being surrounded by, you know, top notch clinicians having mm-hmm. a lot more. I mean, I, I had a lot of responsibilities like, throughout my college career, um, but just extracurriculars. I did a lot of, a lot of service and a lot of like organizational type of activities. So I was, I was used to, you know, wearing a couple hats and having a lot of responsibility, but residency was a different beast. I think, um, I think the component of patient care is kind of being in your own clinician, um, was, was something I was still trying to obviously hone in on Mm -hmm. and kind of get my, my own style and, be confident in my practice. And on top of all that, you know, I had some personal things going on um, that I was trying to work through and it all just kind of culminated into, you know, I didn't really know if I made the right decision, <laughs> you know, to, to put myself in this really, you know, like you said, high stress, high pressure, high demand situation. So, um, you know, the nice thing was that I, I had so much support from from Ohio State, you know, I talked to our director and my boss and, um, and some others, and they were extremely supportive. They helped me through it. And, you know, I'm never, I'm not a quitter. So I wasn't gonna, I was never gonna quit. But I, I was questioning whether I'd made the right decision. Um, And then that's when kind of COVID kind of hit, and everything stopped. And I had a, a, a chance to take a breath recollect my thoughts and I was starting to feel like a better clinician at that point. And I feel like everything, you know, we gotten over the hump and I, w- I really started enjoying the profession at that point. Would you dare say that you were able to actually synthesize and reflect? <laughs> yeah, man, everything that we've been, you've been talking about with this podcast, I feel like I, I had a chance to really like our caseload dropped to really low it did. Um, so I was able to really focus on the patients that I was seeing. I was able to try to integrate more of the things that we had learned. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was, I feel like we we're going a, a hundred miles an hour and it was very difficult to, you know, like you said, reflect and synthesize and like apply versus just like drinking from a fire hose of knowledge, essentially. 
And so, so I feel like that was kind of, yeah, kind of the turn of the year was when I, mm-hmm. when things really changed for me. I, th- I think it's kind of similar to what I've talked to you and Liz about. It kind of seemed like the same time when we all kind of started feeling like a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I think, I think now, like now I'm like really enjoying patient care. I feel like I'm more engaged with my patients. I feel like I'm truly, I feel like, first of all, the nice thing is I feel competent as a therapist. So that's like the number one. Yeah. So I feel confident in my treatments and my care. I also feel much better about what you guys talked about last podcast with the soft skills, definitely improving. So I feel like overall, I'm just enjoying my time as a PT now. So I think, I think that's a valuable lesson, what you bring up. And to the point, you're not, you weren't alone. I know I felt the same way, overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe not to the level what you are at from with the personal things going on in your life, but at the same point, you feel as like an imposter almost. Like, well, I was the last one picked for this residency. Like, mm-hmm. everybody, like they, like the, those other two guys were the ones that like actually belonged here, and they just got me because they hadn't had anybody else. <laughs> or, or like you feel it's just that it's that natural imposter syndrome that you get and i think like everybody gets that i talked to liz dr liz arnold even got it miss calm cool and collected oh yeah well if she has it then you know we all we all are going to have it well you you talk you can talk to like anybody and it's it's something that we don't want to portray on the surface like everybody is like a duck i love that uh that little meme where it's calm on the surface paddle like hell underneath yeah man. I feel like everybody's in that situation and yeah we we want to put on that tough face but it's also a good good thing to come together and it makes you feel better that you can see other people going through that i completely agree i think part of the problem was i saw you and liz and you guys seemed so on top of it that i was like holy crap like am i the only one <laughs> that feels like they're drowning a little bit and and uh, and I think another component of it is, like I said before, just being surrounded by such excellent clinicians that have so many years of experience and they're truly experts in their field. And it's just, and you're this new grad and it's very hard to not feel like you're, yeah, like you don't belong here. <laughs> so that you give underwhelming care. Exactly. And it's the thought that like, oh, well, I can't figure this person out. But if... Paul had them, or if Cody had them, or if Jake had them, or if Megan had them, or the other Megan had them, like, <laughs> oh, they would be getting so much better by now. But it's, it's not, because then you talk to them about their patients, and they struggle with people, too. It's, it's not all cut and dry, black and white. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a frame shift, too, of like, I know you talked about it a little bit last time getting into a little bit of, you know, you can't, you can't get everybody completely better, but I'm trying to look at it from a different perspective now of like, not that I have to match all of these excellent clinicians, but that I have the opportunity to, you know, learn from them in a way that, you know, each of them has their, their niche and something that they're really good at. I just had a patient that I was mentoring out with Megan um, and it was just like, just right up her alley type of patient, you know, and I got to see, and we kind of co-treated, we kind of split up the session a little bit and she mm-hmm. walked me through some things. I was kind of, and it was just, it was just really good because I know that, yeah, even though 
I didn't feel like I knew exactly what to do in that situation. I feel like that's going to carry on every single time that I see that a patient like that again, I'm going to know what to do. And so just let me stop you there really quick. I think it would be super valuable for the students listening, for the new grads listening, for me listening to hear this reflection that you had with her. Would you yeah. mind sharing it without giving away HIPAA <laughs> yeah, violations? Yeah. I'll keep it. I'll keep it HIPAA compliant. So, yeah. so uh, basically, I have a patient right now. This is my. I, I had him for an evaluation. Um, he's having some hip and back pain and some some kind of seemingly ridiculous pain down his leg. Um, okay. He has a previous history of a hip scope on the same side that he had um, has the the leg and um, back pain. So. My initial eval, I was just trying, I was trying to figure out a little bit of whether this was more lumbar related, more maybe, maybe hip scope related. And sure. we didn't really get too far in the initial eval is kind of still up in the air. Um, and so I put Megan on my next follow-up with him and I was like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm, this is what I'm thinking. And we walked through it and he was having a lot of like groin pain. And so with some of the activities. And so I was like, okay, sure. this seems more hip, you know, because groin yeah. typically is, is true hip pathology. So, so I did a couple of joint mobs on him, see if distraction helped and it helped a little bit. It moved his pain a little laterally. And I was like, I don't really know exactly what's going on here. And Megan was like, you should palpate his hip flexors. And I was like, and I admittedly, I don't use palpation as much as I should. Um, but I was like, okay, sure. sure. And obviously he was, su- he was super flared up in his hip flexors. And then, we kind of did a little soft tissue over that. And, and so it kind of came to the point where Megan was kind of educating him about like the kind of hip flexor tendinopathy potential there. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't even on my differential list, you know, like, like the first day. And, and so then it was, we were trying to figure out how we can, you know, get him to activate his iliopsoas or his deep, his kind of more prominent hip flexor over his rectus and sartorius, some of those other hip flexors he's probably compensating with. Yeah. And I was like, I don't exactly know the best way to approach, you know, isolating that muscle because everything he was doing was painful. And mm-hmm. Megan kind of showed me this really interesting kind of like distraction and then asking the patient to try to essentially, like you think of your hip joint and your ball of the hip and kind of sucking the ball up into the cup of the hip. And that kind of um, will promote kind of the isolation of that iliopsoas muscle um, and your feeling for the rectus and all those to kick on and trying to really do that neuromuscular control piece. And, and he was able to do that. And then we progressed him to kind of a hip 90, 90, just isometric. And, and Omega was just walking me through like all these progressions. And it was really, really helpful because like I said before, like what, how you can introduce me, I'm a very systematic person. So I like mm-hmm. being able to go from one progression to the other and making sure that I'm not jumping too far ahead. And so she really helped me see how to take that tendinopathy type patient who's really flared up and start with some really easy light things and then work through it. So that for me now, anytime that I see someone who's having groin pain, I'm going to palpate <laughs> the, the hip flexors. And if that's, um, seems to be the symptom driver, you know, I have some progressions now that I didn't learn in school, probably wouldn't have came up with myself that kind of, you know, it helps me skip, you know, years of, trial and error. So it's very nice. I think, I think that's a, a really key point that you just made, whether it's a, a hip flexor or whether it's a rotator cuff issue, 
like you, you think you look at this stuff and maybe the hip flexor isn't the the primary cause mm-hmm. of why they're in PT. Like maybe it most likely is either back or it's the hip issue and maybe the hip flexor is secondarily inflamed. But if it's secondarily overused or inflamed, then it's going to be a really big pain driver, like you said. And it seems to me like I could see myself in that, in your shoes, and I could see myself walking through the eval, rolling out lumbar, trying to rule out hip, not really being 100% sure. And maybe I would have went to the hip flexor, but maybe not. And at the same time, like that's just a little sneak preview into our everyday world. And Mm -hmm. that happens all of the time. Like I said, if it's a rotator cuff issue or if it's a hip issue, like you get these little things that, I mean, I would have, if I didn't suspect hip flexor, I would have gone down the lumbar and the other hip muscle and joint impairment type treatments that I usually do with hip, right? And then Mm -hmm. it would have taken probably X amount of visits. And then, yeah, I'm not stupid, so I probably would have gone to the hip flexor. Yeah. But at the same time, you you jump, hop, skip, and jump. You make somebody feel better at the second visit versus the seventh visit. I mean, how much money did you just save them in time? Definitely. And and I think with, with those – like the mentorship, I think, that we get really – becomes valuable with a more complex patient because I feel yeah. like at this stage we can, de- we can kind of hold our own with simple to medium complexity patients, but those complex patients who, you know, the first day this guy presented much more like his groin pain wasn't even really his issue, you know? And then the second time it's like, so having that second set of eyes and that fresh, that fresh kind of perspective mm-hmm. can kind of get you away from your biases of what you've seen before. And obviously every clinician has a different approach and a different focus. So seeing Megan's focus, um, you know, she loves hip and, you know, pelvic floor stuff. And so this was right up her alley and it was really, it was like, you know, I was very, um, very fortunate to be able to see that kind of work co-treat, you know, with an yeah. expert clinician who now I feel confident enough that I would be able to do that with any other patient that comes to me with that problem. And so, it's a little thing, but you're not going to forget that. Yeah. Those little think, things that stick. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've been trying to take away from each mentoring session is I feel like before, and I think this is the frame shift that you get as you go through residency. At first I was like, I've treated my mentors very much like a CI to the point where I like, I did not, I just wanted to not do anything wrong. Right. And, and, and now I feel like it's much more, I'm trying to glean something that I can apply in future situations and that's obviously the purpose of mentorship but i feel like in the beginning it wasn't my focus it was more like i just don't want to mess up and now it's more like i want to learn how to optimize the care that i'm providing and not just for this patient but future patients well i think that that's really a good point i think that with that it's a good thing for us to maybe communicate a little bit more with our junior residents that just started and yeah, we're giving them a lecture on resilience. And I think it's like three weeks, something like that. It's coming up. <laughs> I'm done my part. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I need, uh, need to get on it. 
No, but I think that's, that's something that's important. And I definitely want to share the first part of this podcast and talk about like everybody goes through that imposter syndrome. Everybody has difficulty. You're not alone. You don't have to be strong. But at the same point, I think that just builds off of how you receive feedback. and You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've, I've been trying to, Shelby's obviously at, at my clinic and I've been trying to Shelby's be very, one of the new residents, right? Yeah. She's the new ortho resident um, at, at my clinic. And I've been really trying to, you know, be as, be as open and kind of as supportive as I can be. And also not, you know, not put on that mask of, you know, expert clinician. Like I try to, you know, holier than thou. Yeah. Trying, trying to balance, you know, you want to balance. There's, I feel like balance is such an important component of everything we do, but I'm trying to balance being real with her about, you know, it's challenging program. Mm -hmm. People struggle. I struggled and also balancing, you know, but it's an awesome program and it's worth it. And so you got to balance not scaring someone, but also not letting them think that they're the only one and, in wherever situation they're in. So that's kind of what I'm trying to, to do as she enters her. That's awesome. It sounds like you're, you're trying to give her some of the wisdom from your experience, but at the same time, let her experience it for herself. Yeah, exactly. Just let people skip a few steps, you know, like that's, I feel like that's the point of a lot of mentorship and that's the kind of piece I think is really cool right now is we're, we're kind of, slowly transitioning a little bit into that mentor role um big time because i remember jesse was at jesse was one of the previous residents who was the senior resident when i was a junior yep. and i looked to him as kind of that you know holier than that like jesse's an excellent yeah. so jesse's kind of <laughs> he is a very good clinician so jesse i hope you're not listening right now don't get too big of a head <laughs> yeah yeah don't 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 let it inflate too much but but he is he's a great clinician and i just I really went to him with a lot of my questions because I felt like, you know, he was in my shoes last, you know, and I feel like we can really, that's really relatable. So I definitely think us being there for the junior residents is, is critical for their kind of development. So how do you change gears from teaching and mentoring students in ICE to now mentoring a peer? Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Um, I think, it's definitely, it's definitely harder because I think we know, we knew what the ICE students knew because we taught them. So, so we knew the limits of their knowledge and what they would know and what they wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, you know, someone who's a licensed therapist, like you said, they, they are, they're at entry level and they, sh- they have the basic tools that are necessary um, to treat patients. So it's, I'm still trying to figure it out, I guess. I think just being a little bit more open-ended with things, trying to, you know, see what they would do in that situation or, mm-hmm. you know, trying to have more of a conversation about it. Yeah, I think my, my biggest thing in the beginning was I talked too much. Mm-hmm. And, you <laughs> think, and you think about just in a conversation in general, and this doesn't have to be PT. This is just a conversation. Who has the control of the conversation? The person talking or the person listening? Your cat's in the background. <laughs> I can hear him moving things around. Dude, there's like, there's like construction going on in the apartment next to me. So I apologize. That's hilarious. <laughs> They're running some sort of like saw or something. <laughs> 
So, but uh, the audience but, can still hear us. But what I was saying about like thinking about who has the control of the conversations, the person listening, the person listening has the control of the conversation. So if you really want to make somebody think you need to put them on and it's going to sound bad, but almost on the defensive, have them express their thoughts and then you can understand where their thought process is and then direct from there. So what I'm going to try to do in the coming weeks is talk less, ask questions more and listen and try to understand where she's coming from first. Yeah, I definitely, I think there's a lot packed into that. I think that, I definitely think that I, as I tend to talk a lot. So I, I definitely need to bring it, probably even in this podcast, uh, but no, I, no, please keep talking. <laughs> You're doing a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. It's my first, first podcast feature. So, um, but I, I definitely think that I'm one that needs to step back and listen more and, Mm-hmm. The, the power, and I think, I think this goes with our patients too, not just who we mentor, but with our patients too, just the power of letting someone speak and not like you guys talked about with like the active listening last time, not formulating a response in your head as someone's speaking, but actually listening and the power of like just taking a pause is, is huge because a lot of times people will then continue and explain something that maybe they were not necessarily thinking they would say, but but since you didn't just jump right in, you know, they feel like they have space to continue to speak. I, like and I think that, that yeah. I think that works a lot with not only with our patients, but also, you know, with the people that were in positions of mentorship over. So I definitely agree with you on those, those points. Here was an interesting thing that was, uh, that was posed to me by our boss, Paul today. When, when you mentor have have them mentor you on how you're doing so they can put the foot the shoe on the other foot and direct you a little bit more and if you do that that might help us take that pause and give them the the reins of directing where they think their mentorships should go and then that would give us a little bit more insight yeah, that'd be an interesting co- for the junior residents. You mean? Yeah. So have yeah. have like literally sit down and say, "Hey, I have this patient. I need help with them," and like, you literally don't have to tell them that like they're mentoring you. you. Just say, "I need help with this patient. Do you mind just watching what I do and just the whole session, and then giving me a little bit of feedback on either my interactions with the person or with just the technique that I'm using." the type of interventions. Definitely. And I think too, one of the, one of the challenges with, with what the junior residents are doing right now is they have a lot of, they have a lot of free time, right? So they have a lot of observational mentorship right now where they're observing other people's patients. And, and from what I remember from that, that can get pretty easy to zone out, you know, like when, when I think time moves, (laughs) for me, it does. I think, I think, of course, of course, I think, I think time moves slower when you're not actively, you know, treating the patient. So, or you're not, inve- or you're not invested in how the person's doing. Yeah. Like you've never seen this person before. And, and what I've started to try to do, and I kind of gave this advice to, to, to Shelby is when I'm, when I'm mentoring, especially like when I'm observing one of my mentors patients, mm-hmm. 
I've changed my mindset from trying to glean something, you know, or, you know, just seeing how they do things. But I try to now approach it as let's pretend my mentor is not here. How am I, what would I do this session? How would I treat this patient? What would I do based on what I'm seeing here? And then I, and then I wait and I see what they do. And if it's what I would do, great, you know, fantastic. But if it's not, that gives me a point to say, Hey, why did they, why did they do something I wasn't going to do? And that gives you more discussion because I think it's very easy to look back in hindsight and say, oh yeah, that was a good session and I would have done all that. But a lot of times it's probably not the case because everyone's different. And so I feel like it gives you some better discussion points and it really adds some value to your observational mentoring when you, when you approach it in that way, at least for me, it's been that. That's been my experience. I feel much more engaged. I like so. that. And I, don't, and I don't think you have to be a resident to do that. I think if you're yeah. a student, you can do the same thing with your CI and actively listen. That's, that's, that's a version of active listening, essentially. It's obviously you're not hearing them, but you're, all, you're putting yourself in their shoes. You're giving them your, their perspective and you're taking on their perspective. I mean, sorry, can't talk Wednesday. <laughs> um, so you're taking on their perspective and with that, you're learning. It doesn't yeah. matter. You can, there's no excuse. You can do it anywhere, anytime. So yeah. I, think, I think it's important though to take a step back and to, we've been talking about some big stuff. So in general, right? So talking about just starting off as either a resident or a new PT or even a PT that's been around the block a little bit, realizing that everybody has number one, a different way of doing that, doing it and just doing it as in doing PT, but also that everybody goes through self-doubt. So recognize that, see it, use it to push yourself, but don't dwell on it too much. It, it is what it is. Move forward, make yourself better for it. Definitely. And then mentoring wise, taking a step back and not seeing if you are in this either student shoe or this resident shoe, don't, and you can even do this if you're a, a PT as well and you have a student or a resident, don't like look for the little nitty gritty things. Look for like the one thing that you can add value. I think that was an important point that you brought up. It's not, it's not about the little things because everybody does the little things different. It's about like, where can you add value or where can I have value added to my session and making sure you communicate with that, either your CI, your resident or your faculty member. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I'm, I think now that, now that we're kind of in this stage of, of our kind of residency and our experience, cause I, I kind of want to go back and say, I feel like that self-doubt was, was very strong in my early, you know, no. my early period as a clinician. And I heard a couple of times, you know, that, you know, it takes a year <laughs> for you to feel like you're actually a PT. And I didn't know whether to believe that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I truly do. I, I feel like it took close to a year to feel, to feel comfortable, like completely comfortable where I'm at and to feel, and, and I feel like there was a lot of other, you know, our, our experience isn't the typical experience. We have a lot of other things going on, but at least from, from my perspective, 
it truly did take a while. And I, I, I feel like for all the new PTs out there, that's, it's important to understand that you're not, you shouldn't expect yourself to be an expert right off the bat. Like that, that's, that takes a lot of time and experience. You will not, I hope you will never become an expert. If you become an expert, I feel like that means you've given in to complacency. There's always something to learn. Oh yeah. That's one of the other things I love about this profession is there's literally unlimited things that you can learn. Like, like you could browse PubMed for, <laughs> for years. So, so, so let me put, let me put what we just said on its head. So we're talking about, well, you can't really know who you are as a PT until you're a year in. Like you, you got to deal with that self-doubt. And I agree. There's definitely a learning curve. What would you say to the, the student or the, the person who's seeking residency that says, well, that's why I'm going to wait a year and then apply to residency. Like, I don't want to do res. I don't like, you shouldn't do residency right after just because there are too many things to juggle. Yeah. I'm sure you've I, heard that one before and thought yeah. about that yourself. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a class of, you know, my 28, my 28 from UT, um, only two of us did a residency, mm-hmm. um, me and one other person. And so, yeah, obviously that was the thought was a lot of us didn't, you know, do residency. So my, I have two points on that of what you just asked. I think the first thing is kind of a practicality point, which is, once you get in a routine, you kind of, you're probably not going to go back. Um, I feel like what, like, let's be honest, you're, you're in, you're in the mindset of education. You, you're in, you have the didactic portion down, you have the, you're, you're balancing clinics, clinical practice and didactic already. It's fresh in your head. Um, I think that it's optimal for you to make that decision now and not get positioned in a job where, you know, you, you, you might not want to leave that job or mm-hmm. things just life gets in the way for sure. So I would say doing it, making the decision to do it early is just a practical matter better. But I'd say from a content perspective, kind of what we've already said is one of the major reasons I did my re- this residency, um, or I guess I was lucky enough to get selected for this residency was I wanted to establish excellent practice patterns early. I wanted to get in the correct habits in my clinical practice mm-hmm. based on the mentorship and guidance from other, from other experts. And I didn't want to tr- fumble around on my own for a year and I would still learn and it would be great, but sure. I, nothing I, wrong with not doing yeah, a residency. Yeah, of course there's nothing wrong with not doing a residency, but I just wanted that extra guidance of let me establish excellent patterns early in my career that I carry along because I, because yeah. I think if I, if I was on my own, I might make, you know, some, of some, some decisions that I may not have made otherwise um, with, with how I treat patients, whatever approach. Sure. And those habits are really hard to change once they're integrated really strongly into how you go about your sessions. So even though you don't have it all together, I would say that you have the ability to establish excellent patterns early and then take that throughout your career instead of trying to do it later after you have some experience. So those would be my two arguments. Yeah. And Again, we know some fantastic clinicians that never went through residency. Of course. <laughs> and, and the last thing I want to do is for this 
to to sound like oh we're just all on the the residency and fellowship train and anybody who's not is just stupid no it's, it's <laughs> just not. it's just the the exact opposite it's just i think it's how we learn and it it's it matters to what drives us it's just different and oh, yeah. we we want a little bit more out of the the teaching and the research aspects and i think that helps us determine where we want to go for the rest of our career as well as the practice patterns like all all of them together make up the decision to do a residency yeah and i would, I would flip it on you too what do you have any additional points that you would that you would i guess convey to someone if they were on the fence about whether they wanted to do a residency now or later in their career so my view on residency is totally different than it was three weeks ago. Wow. And let, and, and let me tell you why. So throughout this, I've been applying for fellowship for the last three weeks. And this application process, as much as these essays suck, because <laughs> they fucking suck. <laughs> as much as they do, it really made me think. And it made me think, like, okay, why do I want to do a fellowship? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, what am I going to get out of it? What have I gotten out of my residency already? And the more I think about it, the more I've shifted to, and this is, this is probably you guys, have, if you've listened to the other podcasts, have heard me say this, or at least a version of this before, but it's not about the, the excellence of treating. It's to me, it's not about the excellence of treating. It's not about the, it's, it's definitely about becoming a specialist. And I think those two things, again, are very uniquely different, but I think the most important thing is the exposure. And like you said, it's drinking from a fire hose. And the great thing about a fire hose is you get so many gallons of water and we get so the breath of the things that we learn like this past week we were just dancing ballet <laughs> yes, i i learned the moves and the names of ballet moves and how that relates to orthopedic conditions you name it like we've gone through it in some sense and i look at it for more the exposure out of our knowledge was here, small, and now we've widened it, jutted it out, and we have a whole big spectrum now to draw from. That can be scary at times. Now we have all this information. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself like I have almost too much information and I maybe <laughs> overcomplicate things that don't need to be overcomplicated. Or I go down multiple different routes until I actually find the route that works, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the reason why I want to do fellowship is I want to, again, take that really wide base of knowledge and be able to interpret that into a smaller, more correct version. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, we picked this residency as like a specialty area, right? So it's like of all the areas of PT, you know, geriatrics, pediatrics, women's health, all that stuff. Um, we picked orthopedics and there is so much encapsulated in orthopedics, you know, and then, yeah, it's the entire, it's, it's that 
Yeah, it's the whole body. And then you have, you know, those subspecialties, you know, like your manual subspecialty. So that there's, there's so many places to go. And I definitely agree with you that we have, the exposure has been great because, you know, a lot of times like some of the didactic Mm -hmm. that we've had is really made me feel like I would be comfortable, you know, treating a patient with X, Y, or Z, you know, even though I've never seen one, I feel like we got the exposure to be like, all right, this is what you look for. This is like some of the terminology, you know, just like that, you know, if we had to treat, you know, a performance artist or something from last week. So I definitely agree with you. That's, that's invaluable to me. I relate it to, we have a good answer for everything. Maybe not for everything. If we don't have a good answer for it though, we know where to look it up or we know how to get the good answer. But and for the most part, we have a good answer for things. Doesn't mean it's the best answer. It doesn't mean that we're going to perform at an exceedingly higher rate, maybe, than the clinician five years out or three years out. But at the same time, we have a wide breadth of knowledge with, with the residency, and that's what it affords us. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is like, it's not just us, right? Like I, I recently had a case where, you know, I, like I talked to you, I have a baseball pitch right now that I'm really enjoying treating. I never pitched, you know, like I was, I was not a pitcher. I didn't play baseball in high school. So, but we've had that exposure from some of our didactic with some of the kind of the overhead throwing athletes yep, and upper extremity fellowship. Yeah, yep. exactly. And it's not just me because you know what I did? I reached out to our, one of the upper extremity specialists that we have at OSU. And I was like, Hey, I have some questions. I'd love your feedback on this, you know, and it's not just us. We have a network of, of people that are excellent in many different areas that you can reach out to and, you know, share the knowledge. And I feel like that is another component of this that I really value about the residencies. I have resources, friends and resources for life, you know, and that's, that's a piece that, that's a piece that I don't think, I mean, you can, you'll definitely get that like in whatever, clinic that you work in whatever experts you have at your clinic but I feel like we just get such a wide variety of exposure to different different areas of orthopedics and different clinicians that we have so many more resources to pull from and I I definitely value that as well yeah yeah I, I almost wish I would take more advantage of it at some points I don't know about you yeah I mean I just started so <laughs> it's a learning curve Good. I mean, you can only do so many things at once. Exactly. I don't, I don't blame myself, but at the same time, it's no excuse. Come on. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride so far and I'm, I'm looking forward to everything to come. I'm as well. It's a, it's a very, very unsure time right now, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've really even even through this whole pandemic and everything, I still feel like I'm I'm growing and learning personally and professionally, and I think that's I've been lucky yeah. to be able to do that. So, hey, well, I uh, I appreciate you jumping on here and helping me learn from you. I definitely took something away from that conversation, and I know other people will when they listen. So I r- really appreciate it. Yeah, man, it was it was great to be on here. I love the I love how you're formatting this just conversations and just trying to reflect and learn it's it's excellent awesome well i hope to have you on again pretty soon i hope you guys can hear from him and learn from uh doctors astro it's a wealth of information and i am definitely gonna keep picking his brain hey man anytime
Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Until next time.